Hello, friends. We are back with episode 87 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. I hope you missed us, but we certainly have missed all of you, and we're happy to be back on the airways once again. And I am joined, as always, by my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, it's been a minute, hasn't it? How have you been? I've been great. It is good to be back on the airwaves, though. Likewise. And um, I dare say a fair bit of things have happened in the community since we last spoke, and that's definitely... Maybe the understatement of the year, but you know. <laughs> got a couple things to cover. A couple things, yes, yes. So we're going to dive right into it. And our curator this week is Kelly Bodwin, who I actually had the good fortune of having dinner with on the very last night of the major event that we're about to talk about. So shout out to Kelly. Awesome to see you again, along with some of the other great art ladies in the community. It was great to talk shop about a lot of things. But as always, she had great help from our fellow Art Weekly team members and contributors from around the world, like all of you listening. So yeah, what's happened? Well, I can tell you what's happened. We are just off about a week removed from the Art Studio Conf that took place near Washington, D.C. last week. And to say that there was a lot announced or revealed at this event would probably be another massive understatement. But we are going to lead off our coverage with one that's likely getting the most buzz and attention in the community. When during the opening keynote, Hadley, while joined by J.J. Allaire at our studio, had made the announcement that our studio itself is now rebranding to be called Posit. Now, at the risk of completely embarrassing myself on this podcast, which, gee, that never happens, I will admit, when I first saw the new name on the big uh, projector there, I had no idea what posit meant. So I had to look it up. You know, I'm, I'm always transparent on this show. So according to both the blog posts that we're linking to in the highlight, um, as well as just some general sleuthing, posit means to bring forward a hypothesis or idea for discussion, which is certainly a big part of a typical data science role that we play every day. So... I'm definitely warming up to it. Now, I will say, as a Linux geek, I keep thinking of POSIX to talk about system processes because as a geek like me, who else would think of that, I guess? But um, in terms of the bigger picture here of this rebranding, I think when one reads between the lines, so to speak, seeing this kind of rebrand is not really a big surprise to me, at least, when you add up a lot of you know things together. You think about the investment that now Posit has made in what we were calling interoperability between some of their biggest open source packages using multiple languages in both their open source software as well as their commercial products. So one can think of Reticulate that was born many years ago that J.J. O'Leary headed to give R a first class way to interact directly with Python, another obviously very prevalent language in the data science space. So I think that was just kind of the first step in all this. And now we're seeing many other parts of their organization in terms of the products and open source packages they're making to support different languages in the process, such as tidy models with model deployment that we heard about and the Quarto framework that we're gonna be hearing about again shortly also coming with out-of-the-box interoperability of at least three different languages heavily used in data science. So this is where I, I could see something like this coming. Now, where it gets interesting for me 
is kind of hearing the reaction to all this because within the conference on the ground floor, so to speak, I mean, I would certainly ask others what they thought of. Others asked me what I thought of the rebranding. And I think it was overall quite positive. Um, people are warming up to it. Then I talked to my colleagues at the day job, who I'm not going to out here by name, but they were definitely very mixed on it. Um, some would feel like it's almost becoming like a corporate move per, per se, or they were concerned about maybe now posit losing attention on what got them there in the first place, which is first class support for the R language itself. Now, my take is this. Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Mike. But if if this rebranding helps posit continue their growth and revenue so they can continue developing, you know, top-notch first in class open source software, wherever it's packages or other utilities that benefit all of us in the data science and statistics realm, I'm all for it. I'm really not at all concerned about the future of the company per se. Of course, I hope that they continue to succeed in, in the missions that they've outlined. And I firmly believe that they are on that right track and that getting more interoperability in data science is not going to hurt anyone, especially as we see more teams start to adopt and pivot between different frameworks in different situations. That's my take on it. Uh, Mike, what did you think about the big announcement? Lots of opinions on the rebrand. Uh, lots of people out there arguing over whether it, it is a true rebrand or some sort of migration away from R and more towards Python and or you know closed source software. I think we were all pretty shocked when the announcement was was made. Maybe um, you know I, I think I would reiterate that R Studio, the IDE, is not changing its name. Uh, that's not going to be the Posit IDE. R Studio, the company, is where the rebrand is happening. Um, I, I've heard the same kind of mixed feelings. Was your, your colleague that wasn't a big fan of the rebrands, did he think that they missed the target, so to speak? He was definitely uh, perplexed by the, by the name itself, for sure. That was part of it. But yeah, as I said, they're, they're also a little concerned about, yeah, losing focus of what got them there in the first place. That was a little, a, a little wink, wink Easter egg, but uh, all I can say, <laughs> I got it now. Yep. All I, all I can say is this: if you are worried about you know the strategic direction of, of our studio, aka Posit now, and them perhaps investing more in closed source tooling, I would say the same thing you you said, Eric. I, I think a lot of it is to sustain the open source efforts. Um, I would remind you, the listener, that they still have an incredible percentage of employees. I think it's over 50% who dedicate most of their time to open source software. And they have well over 100 employees at Posit. That, so half of the company generating effectively zero direct revenue uh, in the company is flourishing. So just, you know, I, I tried to think back a little bit in history about how much open source work our studio did before they even sold any professional products. It was quite a bit for sure. You know, there were maybe a package or so a year that Hadley and a few others would put out, um, maybe some some big upgrades to existing packages. But now I think about how much open source work our studio has done since selling professional products. You know, they added absolute machine learning titans in Max Kuhn and Julia Silgi, who have built out this incredible ecosystem of many R packages for predictive modeling. That's a gigantic project and accomplishment. You know, the GT package has revolutionized the way that we create tables. 
Quarto is an open source piece of software that I honestly believe is the future of scientific publishing. Uh, and they give this away for free, people. So all of this, you know, is to say, in my opinion, if they want to rebrand to better organize their professional products versus their open source contributions, by all means, go ahead. I have full faith in, in you know, JJ, Tarif, Hadley, and the rest of the leadership team over there who have navigated, you know, sustainably funding a successful company that mostly provides free open source software for, for many years now. And if I haven't convinced you, you know, perhaps the, the last paragraph of JJ and Hadley's blog post will, which says, you know, so while you will see our name change in a bunch of places, including our main corporate website, we are still continuing on the same path. So take that as you will. And I am going to choose to be optimistic. Yep. I think we're very much aligned there. And even one of the funny bits in that keynote towards the end is um, Hadley was very quick to say that even with the rebranding, um, he's not quite adopting Python in the Tidyverse anytime soon. So you can be rest assured, all of you Tidyverse fans out there, there won't be an uprooting of everything <laughs> because of the rebranding yes. that still they are very much in support of, of R and, and other languages in this process, but it's not going to uproot a lot of these existing efforts. Um, again, it is early. Obviously, we still have a lot a lot in this space to go after the announcement like this. But I think given, you know, what JJ has talked about, especially in the, the previous RStudio conf of RStudio becoming, not posit, see, it's going to be very hard to get me, get for me to get used to, you know, <laughs> and that with them pivoting to being a public benefit corporation, I think things like that, when you put the totality of all this together, give me faith in the direction they're going. I'm, Certainly there are, there will be skeptics out there. There's still going to be both within just general data science or within various organizations that have been depending on them for various workflows. But I think until they have a huge misstep, I don't really have a reason to doubt their direction. And I'm all for you know, everything being contributed back as best as it can be to open source and benefiting the communities in general. So both the work in the R side and their recent work on the Python side, that's all being shared in the open, just like it was before. So to me, little can go wrong if you keep that mission going. I agree. I agree. And it was nice to hear that uh, anecdote from, from Hadley <laughs> as well, you know, saying that he's not going to start writing Python anytime soon. If dplyr gets renamed to dpandas, I will jump ship, though. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Mark it down. <laughs> That's a nice segue into things that have jumped ship a little bit, but for the better, um, there was a lot of amazing content related to Shiny that was shared at our studio conf. And in fact, I'll have way more to say about this in my future Shiny developer series streams. You can bank that as well because they literally gave me enough content to probably populate a whole year's worth of episodes now with everything that's been announced. But with respect for today, we're going to continue on this train of how much easier it is to perform testing of Shiny applications, which used to be a major pain back in the old days, if I want to pull that card out. And this is all thanks to Bear Schlerke's Shiny Test 2. This is not the first time we mentioned Shiny Test 2 on this very podcast, but uh, Barrett had a great presentation 
at our studio conf where he did an outstanding and terrific job of outlining why a Shiny developer should invest their time and effort to make testing a Shiny app more a regular and repeatable process. And this all starts with a powerful built-in test recorder. It just could not be any easier, in my humble opinion, to get an initial test script created using the methods he would already do manually, like clicking around specific places, launching calculations, looking at an output of a plot, making sure it makes sense. But this is all gonna be a repeatable pattern that you can automate after this little test recorder. And so once you have the test script created, which again is standing on the shoulders of the very popular test that framework, you can either use this script as is and run these tests again and again every time you make a new update to your app, or you can even provide additional customizations because it's all just our code. This isn't some magical opaque language that only the most seasoned web devs could know about or understand. So I feel assured enough on the stability of this, you know, newly released the CRAN version of test that or shiny test two, that I even put a live demo of my recorder of, of the recorder app in my production quality shiny apps workshop with Barrett sitting right on the side watching me along the way. Nothing broke at all. Plus, I didn't screw it up either. So that's always a plus when you use Shiny Test 2 in a high-pressure situation. Um, but I'm certainly excited with the growth of this. And I have many apps, both at day job and on my personal side, that will definitely benefit from the new Shiny Test 2. So, Mike, you have no excuse now. You got to test your apps too, right? Absolutely. Uh, I did not know that you included Shiny Test 2 in your workshop. Uh, Eric Nance never wanted to make it easy on himself. <laughs> But I heard that the workshop was a smashing success. So congratulations on that. And I'm sure uh, those who attended it are very fortunate to have done so. We already got a really nice preview of, of Shiny Test 2 at the Absalon Shiny Conference earlier this year. Uh, but Barrett gave us an even deeper dive of the package, its functionality and recommendations and best practices at our studio conf last week. The big idea with apps versus our packages or just a typical code base, I think, is the concept of regression testing, not just unit testing, uh, which ensures that the app remains consistent over time. Um, so I, I think that's sort of one of the concepts that you might have to wrap your head around if you're not familiar with testing uh, you know, web applications in this context. So my favorite part about Barrett's presentation, which I assume was made with Quarto, uh, was all of the gifts that he included so that we could actually watch these tests running in action. It, it was an incredible presentation. It was great to watch, even virtually. I'm sure this took a long time for him to put together to grab all those screen recordings. So big props to Barrett for taking the time to do so. And uh, if you haven't watched that presentation, I believe it should be online within a couple weeks here. Yeah, um, credit to Barrett. Your slide game has just been going up exponentially since I first saw one of his presentations way back, at, I want to say the 2019 RStudio Conf when he talked about React Log. Yeah, yeah, you got your slide game going, buddy. I got to catch up with you. Um, but yeah, I definitely appreciate the hands-on demos and and really the 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 biggest wins for Shiny Test 2 are just how much easier it is to get started. There's very little fuss for setting this up. It's based on Chrome Mote on the back end for a headless Chrome browser. 
instead of phantom js which is basically end of life and there be dragons if you ever have to hack around that take it from me i have many bruises from that experience so i'm i'm in like a i don't know like a testing paradise with shiny test 2 compared to the fiery depths that i was in with the previous shiny test maybe that's no exaggeration but if you debug phantom js you know exactly what i'm talking about it was nuts back in the day so welcoming to have a pleasant experience for testing for sure i'm glad to uh, be starting with shiny test too and have never had that that similar experience eric i'll just take your word for it yes yes i i i think i had like a second job of like just going through all the painful experiences so others don't have to so maybe that's maybe that's my calling in the future that's very valuable to the rest of us i don't know about to you but it's extremely <laughs> valuable to the rest of us so if thank I, you for your service if i can survive it's always valuable that's for sure um But what we can be assured of that we'll be surviving and frankly thriving is that you may have heard about this little thing called Quarto. Um, I would say our studio conf was kind of like this big reveal, even though we've been talking about Quarto for quite a bit on this podcast. But on top of the absolutely smashingly good keynote um, that was at our studio conf, um, we also have some great additional resources that are popping up. I will mention that the in-app, or I should say the website, official website of Quarto has immensely terrific and detailed documentation. It is by far a great place to get going with making your first Quarto document, looking at the different compute computation engines, and just getting you started on the right foot. But now I'm also one of those people that likes to have kind of these cookbooky type recipe-like resources, whereas a uh, maybe a given capability and here's how you can accomplish it. Um, but in the buildup to our studio conf, Mine Chechenkaya Rundell from our studio who, or posit, see, there I go again, who happened to be a co-presenter of that quarter keynote, launched one quarter tip a day, a blog-like website written in quarter, of course, with a great collection of productivity boosts to add to your quarter dev toolbox. So there's at least like 12 or 13 of these if I, at my last count, I'm just gonna say some of my personal favorites. Um, the slide zooming, which I had no idea even existed until I saw this tip is absolutely great. If you have a lot of content on your slide and you just wanna pinpoint one specific thing without messing up your entire web browser zooming piece, I think that's a great little nugget there. Um, also, creating diagrams using custom code chunks with mermaid.js, which is something I'm trying to do more of. That's a great little nugget as well. And then a more than one tip, a full collection of important ways to make your quarter document more accessible to your audience and really awesome tips there as well. To really put into proof, so to speak, my praise of quarter, every single workshop material I built, whether it was the website, or the presentation slides was with Quarto because I was so happy with what I was seeing even in the early days of this year that I thought this is the best way to learn for me. Put it in a high profile project, see what works, see what doesn't work and give feedback to the team if I run into any issues and they have been super responsive. But overall, it has been an amazingly pleasant experience to put all this together. And so, of course, now I have the itch to do 
many, many more things with Quartal than just a simple workshop. So I'm really looking forward to putting this in practice. And also throughout this process, we're now seeing many more in the community sharing their customizations to say slides in Quartal with theming and the like. So there's a lot of momentum going right now. So if you're on the fence before, I think definitely now is a great time to get started with Quartal. But uh, yeah, Mike, uh, do you have a little obsession with Quartal by chance? Just slightly. Uh, I said this earlier, but I can't believe this is free open source software. You know, for anyone who has experience with our markdown, you know that there are a ton of configuration parameters, You know, whether that be in YAML headers or code chunk headers. I am well aware that there are parameters I've never used that I don't know about uh, that are just you know it's so extensive. So I'm sure that the idea of switching over to a brand new scientific reporting software, you know, Quarto is probably daunting or not exciting for folks who are using our markdown. Um, for some folks, maybe for me, it is. If, <laughs> but my personal opinion is that is that Quarto is just a much improved version of our markdown. I know that's not entirely correct, but I think if you want to use it just for the purposes of authoring scientific reports with R, you won't have to change hardly anything about your workflow by switching to Quarto. The, the first thing that I'm most excited about with Quarto is the reveal.js integration to make beautiful animated slide presentations, essentially. I never felt fully satisfied with the Jeringen package and some of the other options we had with our markdown previously, I don't know, something about them just didn't feel as nice as, I don't know, the UIs that I could create in Shiny uh, or things like that. But I solemnly swear to never make another PowerPoint presentation now that we have reveal.js. So someone out there hold me to that. Um, if you haven't seen any of these reveal.js presentations, just just check out the Quarto presentation by, by Mine and Julia at our studio conf last week. Uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. Um, it's it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I think I just saw online as well that Tom Mock, I believe, is going to do a Quarto tutorial live stream on August 9th. So definitely sign up for that if interested. And this blog by Mine is just a great resource to reference as you get started um, building your first Quarto presentation or document. Yeah. And going back to that keynote, um, one of the awesome things that they were implementing during that keynote was a great functionality where they were, when they were navigating the slides, if you had it on your laptop as a separate web browser, it would navigate it for you as well. It is a terrific functionality The if you have a, such a situation where you want the students or whoever your audience is to be up to date with where you're going in a talk, boy, that couldn't make it any easier, right? I mean, all these things are just built in. It is, I, I, I'm still honestly kind of flabbergasted at how much they built into this. And I, I've, I've been doing a lot of web presentations, experimenting with different things. And so it's interesting to compare and contrast the different formats we have, like the previous R Markdown web-based presentations, sharing in and now reveal JS with Quarto. Each one's going to have their fans. Like I can definitely know that sharing again, if you're a power user of web JavaScript and CSS, you're going to feel right at home with sharing again. Good for you. Different strokes are different folks, as they say. But I can say that when I look back at the slides I made for my workshop and look at Quartal, it, for whatever reason to me, feels more readable of like what I was trying to do in a certain slide, 
I was trying to move elements around or do column layouts. It just seems more easily from a first glance kind of perspective to understand what past me was doing when I made that slide. So I think readability of like what you build as like the source of these is just as important as the output you're making. So there, there are definitely, you know, trade-offs to everything, but I think I had a, had a wonderful experience at Quartal. And certainly I'm really looking forward to the time where Quartal is going to be baked into the, um, our studio workbench or posit workbench very soon so that there's even less fuss to get up and running with it. There's still a few kinks are working out on one of the Linux distribution sides of it, but that is imminent I've heard. So it's going to be even easier if you're using our studio, the IDE or the like to get started with it. Plus it has first class support for visual studio code as well. So I can hop back and forth and not miss a beat. So interoperability with Quartal baked in from the start. And I think it's just going to keep going. It's a exciting, exciting effort to watch right now for sure. Absolutely. What other resources from this week's uh, episode did you find interesting, Eric? Yeah, so I'm going to give a quick plug to our curator again, Kelly Bodwin. She actually had a great talk at our studio conf with some slides on how how she's been translating between the tidy model syntax of performing machine learning and from the Python side, Sidekick Learn. So this is a really, you know, She's got opinions in this for sure, but it's a great compare and contrast on ways that as a developer, you can make your functions or the way you expose an API of sorts more accessible for different audiences and the different trade-offs between frameworks. So in the spirit of what we've been talking about today, I think it's right up the alley of seeing how different approaches in data science can be leveraged in such a hugely important domain like machine learning. So I really... Um, I wasn't able to see the talk live because there's so much happening, but I'll watch a recording, but definitely check out the slides um, that we'll have linked to in the show notes as well. Uh, Mike, what did, what caught your eye? So I think it would have been way funnier for our audience if we did a good cop, good cop, bad cop for the Art Studio Posit rebrand discussion <laughs> instead of just agreeing that it was great, but maybe <laughs> next, <laughs> maybe next time. Um, I'm getting back on that same soapbox and recommending Gordon Shotwell's Twitter thread on why our users should actually be happy about the Posit rebrand. He says it much better than I can that the R community benefits greatly from cross-language initiatives like the Arrow Project, for mm-hmm. example. Like That's an incredible project that is cross-language and has had huge positive implications on the R community as well as other communities, but also on the R community. It's essentially the, the equivalent of having more diverse perspectives working on data science problems, I think. And I know we love R. Trust me, I co-host an R podcast. But there are just some features in Julia and, yes, Python, that are superior to their R equivalents, in my opinion. Um, these They just do some very specific edge case things better from what I've seen. In my opinion, you know, these cross-language initiatives allow us to learn from each other in a way that benefits everyone, uh, including the R community, so that going forward, we're creating the best tooling that we possibly can. That's that's my plug um, that I saw as an additional resource in the highlights this week. And if you want more Cordo talk, check out uh, a great YouTube conversation that I listened to the whole way through. I think it's about an hour and a half between Jeremy Howard, who's 
sort of a big name on the Python side. He has a package or a framework called NBDev2, which is built on top of Quarto for actually building Python packages in a notebook-based way, a notebook-based approach to building Python packages, which is um, a little contrarian to a lot of the Python community, but pretty cool. And he has this great long talk with uh, JJ Allaire. And JJ talks quite a bit about Quarto as well and just their philosophy on uh, scientific uh, computing, essentially. So very, very cool conversation that I'll just plug as well. Well, I know what I'm listening to on my uh, commute to uh, the kids' activity in a few hours. That is excellent. Fine, Mike. We will have that linked in the notes as well. And yeah, there's so much more content to talk about, but um, we only have the time we have here. So definitely check out the full issue at rweekly.org for all the latest and greatest uh, links that our curator Kelly has put together for us. And yeah, there's bound to be a whole lot more content coming on, not just from our studio conf, but from other major events that are about to happen in the near future as well. So we're always going to be covering it right here for all of you to listen to on your favorite audio podcasting or web browser of choice. I don't even care how you listen to it. We just want you to listen to us. That's all. Um, But if you want to hear more from our past catalog, all the previous podcasts are linked to artwiki.org, little podcast link at the top, and also at the podcast and video section. So we're trying to make it easy to find. And yeah, we'll um, certainly appreciate all your support. If you want to join our team on the Art Weekly side, just please get in touch with us. We have a a process in place for you to get onboarded. And we already had a couple of people reach out to us with some interest, so we're very happy for that. And um, of course, your poll requests are always welcome if you find a great link in the community that you like featured in an issue. Again, just go to artweekly.org and fill out a handy little poll request in our draft, and our curator will be glad to merge it in for you. But yeah, boy, uh, again, it was an amazing event at our studio conf. Again, I'll have a lot more to say about the shiny stuff in future content here but there's a a lot to process but in a good way of course and yeah the train keeps moving on as they say so that will do it for episode 87 of our weekly highlights and we will be back with another edition next week